and ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful for your guidance in our lives. We need it desperately. Keep us honoring your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in Luke 16 because at Wine, Wisdom, and Song this last month, I, uh, I think Gunn had asked a question about this parable, the rich man and Lazarus, about its historicity and how do we tell on historicity. A lot of theologians, Bible scholars say that this parable wasn't a parable, it was a story of real people because it's the only one in which someone is named. And if you get an old enough Bible, you get both of them named. They actually call the rich man Dives, which means rich. And so sometimes you'll see in old uh, Bibles the, the parable of Dives and Lazarus rather than the rich man Lazarus. But I wanted to talk about something I, I, had, I, I recalled to memory. I, so much of a recall that I almost didn't realize I was remembering what I had already seen there years ago, 10 years or so ago. Um, as we were talking about it at uh, Wine, Wisdom, and Song, uh, I was looking through the parable and I was realizing that there was nothing mentioned about the evil of the rich man or the goodness of Lazarus. There's just the statements about their economic condition. That is it. Well, that was, you know, uh, good news to Bernie Sanders, but maybe not good news to those of us who are good capitalist American Christian Republican voting, whatever we are. So I thought it would be worth looking at to see what the Lord, because the Lord is obviously teaching something. He's not just going, I don't understand economics. I know I'm God, but I don't understand economics. A few verses earlier, same chapter, I have it here on the left-hand side, top of the column, about four or five verses earlier. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and they scoffed at him but he said to them you are those who justify yourselves before men but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God that is the audience circumstance it, make, it lets you know Luke lets you know that the audience in particular were Pharisees who were lovers of money So you can say, well, it's, it's spun this parable, and then a few verses later, spins this parable into a, you know, I know this is a, they knew it was about them. He knew it was about them. But it doesn't say that the rich man in the parable was a lover of money. One of the things we have to always realize, and it's just an accident, I apologize for Western civilization. But back in the old days, you made, making money wasn't the same as making money now. You are all filthy rich. 
I would say homeless people in the history of the world are middle class. Homeless people uh, in this country, homeless people are middle class. They've got food when they want it, they got housing when they want it, they don't really care, you know, they really are, are doing something else than beggars of a previous generation. We all, and I think I've mentioned this before, I, I, I realize when I'm thanking God before I go to sleep, because I'm very thankful when I'm going to sleep, I always thank God. It would be nice to thank God for my wife first, but I thank God for my bed first. Thank God for my bed. It's right there. I'm lying on it. It's comfy. I have a better bed than Solomon had. I'm sure of it. I mean, they had no inner spring mattresses. They had no memory foam. They had no anything. They had straw, maybe some wool. Maybe slaves that you lay on the back of. <laughs> we're all rich. We're all rich. Now, so consequently, since we're all rich, and we call each other middle class because that's what we, little illusion we try to maintain. We know that America has allowed richness to happen to you, not because you were raiding your enemy tribes and taking their stuff for some sort of uh, bartering deal that you just took your, uh, uh, your opportunities in it. Capitalism has just churned along making value and shoving it out there into the world and you were standing there with your college diploma, suddenly having money shoved at you. And money started happening to you. You say, some of you guys, guys are going, I don't have that much money being shoved at me. But remember, we're all rich. You're having money shoved at you. You just have to stand still in America. And the generation of value will turn you into a rich person. Now, the, consequently, I'm not hoping it's the rich man and Lazarus. I'm not going to go, you're the same kind of rich as the rich man in this parable. You're not. But you're in danger of it because you're rich. You're going to have a temptation. And we want to know what the temptation is, since it doesn't tell you the rich man was bad in some other way, that he was murdering people or he was stealing his money. It just says there was a rich man who was clothed in purple, and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Someone was talking about colors that were good colors, and someone was commenting how good purple was. I do not, do not like purple, no offense, those of you who were wearing purple. But it's a royal color, because the Phoenicians dealt in the murex muscle, the dye of the murex muscle, and they would dye clothes fancy purple, and Caesars liked it. Clothed in purple. Fine linen. You hear those uh, commercials on Rush Limbaugh, if you listen to Rush Limbaugh. What was the name of the uh, sheets? Bolin Branch. Ex-presidents. Three ex-presidents use these sheets. I don't know what the thread count is. But fine linen. You know when you're staying at a cheap hotel and it's like sandpaper getting into bed. And you know when the wife finally, oh, we're going to do 600 count. 
and you might slide out of bed because it's uh, so slick. And feasted sumptuously every day. Even if you go to fast food joints, what happens to you? It's so cheap, I can order like more than I want. I could, I'm here, I could buy three hamburgers and a large fry with the extra, supersize everything, and a milkshake. We were, we were, where was, we were at uh, the Varsity Diner the other day for a burger. You know, feeling, it was sunny and it was lunch and we had a burger and each had a shake, which comes with that extra bit in the metal thing, like it did in the 50s. I had a malt, she had a shake. We waddled out of there. We didn't even finish our food. We feasted sumptuously. And you know that's the case, you know. In America, the poor have an obesity problem. You go to Shoney's in the South, all you can eat, and they do. The cattle walk it and waddle in with the Wilsons and both front feet in the trough and we like the purple, the linen, and the sumptuous feasting. None of this, you know, is, are you trying to say, is Jesus trying to say, this is wrong? And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores. You can just hear Karl Marx, you know, you know get the wind up on this. The poor man, the downtrodden, the proletariat, the sick, the hurting. We've got a feel. Who desired to be fed. Oh, man. It, just sound, it sounds like there is an evil to the purple, the linen, and the sumptuousness. Because the contrary, the contrary, someone desiring to be fed what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I mean, Jesus is just kicking them while they're down, basically. It's, oh, I'm just going to make this a little worse. Just turn the volume up on the problem. But remember, he doesn't tell you how good Lazarus is. You've met wicked poor people. You've met wicked rich people. Does God also measure your bank balance and say, I'm going to punish you because you're rich and I'm going to reward you because you're poor? The poor man died and was carried to Abraham's bosom, by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And those of us who are good the theologically go, of course he had to have been bad, he would not be punished. But it doesn't say he was bad. It doesn't say he is going to torment because he did something, cheated on his wife, cheated on his taxes, cheated on his exams. I don't know what you cheat on. 
bad people. Doesn't say. He's in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. He had an opportunity to say, you know, underneath all of this, you're a bad person. No, he said, you got good stuff, he didn't. Now he gets good stuff, and you don't. That seems to be what he's saying, right? I'm just Abraham's just telling him what happened. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. He's basically saying, we can't fix this now. This is not something that's adjustable. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses, and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, the end. Now everyone knows where that parable is landing. Is that you're not going to believe when Jesus Christ rises from the dead, it's not going to be enough for people. They're not going to believe in even that. Why is it not going to be enough? Like he says in John, those that have heard and learned from the Father come to him. Those who have seen Moses and the prophets and have heard and learned from God come to Christ. They hear what Christ is. Now, that's your main point. But I'm a little nervous about this whole... Because remember, we're all wealthy. Now, it doesn't help that in Luke 6, here's here on the left-hand side, this is Luke's account of the Beatitudes. And they're different than in Matthew, um, but worth looking at. And he lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you should be satisfied. Blessed are you that weep, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you that are full now at Shoney's, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now, already, <clears throat> we're ready, we, we have to start making ourselves, you don't want to pull up on a device that either says, I'm going to make a Christian socialism out of this passage, which just says, we're going to get back at the rich, we're going to take their stuff, we're going to make us rich or richer, and that's how we're going to answer it. 
On the other hand, you don't want to be the capitalist defensively, looking at Jesus like the Pharisees were looking at Jesus and saying, but we love money. I don't think you completely understand that. We love money. And we love what money can buy. We love going on vacations. Some of you, I won't let my gaze fall on any one of you, like Disneyland. And go there at the expense of thousands of dollars to wander around and stand in lines to ride little thrilling moments of Indiana Jones or whatever it is you ride. Because Lord knows if I didn't use my money on standing in line and blowing it on an Indiana Jones ride, what would I be doing with it? Helping the poor? So we're a little nervous because we're all rich and we all like the benefits of the cabin at the lake. We all like going to the concert at Sandpoint. We all like having a nicer vehicle. Now I am speaking, you say, Evan, don't you have a new vehicle? Yes, I have a new vehicle and I like it. There's a little TV there for backing up. I hate Disneyland. I mean, I just hate it. Got that, Addison? From the pulpit. It used to be Lee, Lee uh, O'Brien. She was your family too, Aaron, right? Oh, man. We were coming back from that wedding on Saturday, and someone in the car said, remember Lee's wedding up in wherever it was? Kellogg? Yeah. You up in Kellogg. It's a Disneyland theme, or a Disney movie theme wedding. I shot myself. <laughs> but that, that doesn't mean, just because someone likes Disneyland doesn't mean that Evan doesn't like other things of his, the, the, the verse in Ecclesiastes, but money answers everything. It's amazing what you can do with a dollar, and five dollars, and ten dollars, and a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. It's amazing what you can do. And you're probably old enough and wise enough to realize that a million dollars, what's the Powerball up to? Millions, billion six. You'll be going out right after church to buy yourself a ticket because I hope you have a strong view on the tithe, even though I do not have a strong view on the tithe. <laughs> I want to have the innocence of not believing in tithing, but have you feel guilt, you know, until you give to the church the 10% of your one point. That's, how much is that? 16, 16 million to the church? 10% of a million? Is 160 million? 160 million. We could we do fine with that. I think Brian could get the things fixed at the church that need to be fixed. We could have real stained glass, not just tinted pebble glass. But it looks at here, what Abraham says to the rich man, you received your good thing. We don't want to be capitalist defensive, we don't want to be socialist, you know, wetting our pants, getting all excited about taking away other people's stuff. Because that's just one step removed from the problem. 
because the socialist still wants to be consoled by stuff. He just wants to be consoled by your stuff. And he wants to be consoled by you not having your stuff to be consoled by anymore. So it would make him feel better if you weren't allowed to have it, and he was. So we're looking at what Christ is doing with this. He has warned people that woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. He tells Dives, you have received your good things. I'd like to suggest that it's not the coin but the consolation. Because you know that any number of people, even in scriptural times, were well-to-do. Even in scriptural times, it was recommended that you be as shrewd with your dealings with mammon as the non-believers so that you buy friends for yourself. Make friends for yourself by the means of unrighteous mammon. You're told, the wealthy are told in, in Timothy to... To, to be generous with what they have, to not set their hope falsely on riches. So we know what, we kind of know where we're supposed to be, but how are we supposed to, what's the actual problem that we're dodging? What's the temptation that we're resisting? We know that the socialist is just trying to create early justice and set up the utopia. God, let God set up the utopia. Let God sort this out. He's going to be just. But since we're all receiving our comfort now, somebody was in the library a few nights ago talking about, oh, I think it was Lou, Lou Wall, about how anxious modern women were when everything was fixed. Everything works, doctors everywhere, cars that will drive you anywhere, planes that will fly you anywhere, and far more struggle with anxiety as if the Black Plague was around the corner. We are conscious, conscious, very conscious, of how happy money can make us. And once you have imbibed that answer, once you have started spending the dollars you earn on your consolation, because life, no matter what, right? Life, no matter what, is going to kill you. That's what it's about. It's got a plan. It's that guy with the big scythe. I'm here to uh, kill you. No matter how long it takes, I'll get you. And it's going to get all of us. And so we're trying to desperately answer the futility that is inevitable with something that will console us. Solomon dealt with the same thing in Ecclesiastes. I tried everything. Buildings, lots of wives, lots of singers, lots of stuff. And nothing worked, so I hated life. But we know we're up against the consolation of this attack, trying to, trying to... And so when somebody hands you a paycheck, some friend of mine's daughter just got a job, and 
She got her first actual, real, complete paycheck. She didn't know there was that much money in the world. It was like $200. Oh my gosh, what is going on? You mean they actually give me this stuff when I work for them? Well, you've probably felt that occasionally, certain moments, certain bonuses, certain paychecks. You're all dumber, you're all wealthy. You got more money than you deserve. And we're told by every commercial and our own volition to go purchase the consolation on this, your manhood, your health, your childhood fears, your fear for your children. We get used to buying our consolation. Now the warning is, I, I included here at the bottom, you say, well, there's a whole bunch of text down here below, what are you doing with that? That's Luke 18, a couple chapters later. It is the rich young ruler. It occurs, whereas the parable of Dives and the Lazarus is only in Luke. The rich young rulers in, in, are in the synoptics. But I just sort of decided I'd stay in the Luke account just to keep everything tidy and Lucan. If that's a word. I think it is. Lucan. Johannine, Lucan. Is it Markin? Ah, forget it. The ruler asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have observed from my youth. And then Jesus heard it, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus, looking at him, said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for an camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, that's us, remember, to enter the kingdom of God. You hear your eyes twitching, going, what? I enjoy that $200 paycheck. You can't take that from me. I worked hard for my money. I'm investing in gold now because I watch too many commercials with, what's his name, Devane, William Devane, telling you to vote and buy gold. And you might even have a little safe full of gold. And I wish I had a safe. And I wish it was full of gold. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. What's the problem going on here? What's the Lord telling the rich young ruler? He doesn't say to the disciples, it is impossible. Matter of fact, When they say, because they, the rich can't get to heaven, he said, then who can be saved? That's verse 26. But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. I want to know what the possibility is, because we're all rich. Right? We're the rich. We're the far more. If the, if the homeless are middle class in history, you're rich. And you can walk around, and when little Johnny says, can I have a Coke? You say, sure, here's a you know, buck. Buy a Coke. Knock yourself out. Go, go drink something completely unnecessary to life. That isn't just sugar and fizz. Because we can. You want your consolation? Here, have it in sugar. 
Leslie had bought some Ferraro, Ferrero Rocher chocolates. They even, they even try to look wealthy. They have a hard plastic case the size of a Buick. And it's lined up individually wrapped in gold, gold foil. I don't think it's real gold, but foil. And women will sit there in the library. The guys just don't, aren't interested in it. They have cigars. And Leslie will bring in these Ferraro Rochers. And, and every woman is, is, is swooning, looking for a, uh, something to bring them back to consciousness so their, their consolation can be enjoyed. And we spend our money on it. It wasn't enough food to get you through the next day. It was a Ferrara Rocher. I don't even want to know what's in them. Some sort of chocolate, I guess. So what's God's answer? What he says, it's not possible. It is possible. It's not impossible. But it's really hard. What are we looking at? Because we're the rich. The socialist wants to say, it's not possible. You just have to become poor. Right? That's what someone would take from the rich young rulers. Give everything away. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. Well, that's not a rich man becoming saved. That's a poor man becoming saved. He just lost everything. Then it's not possible for God to save a rich man. It's not possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He has to divest himself of everything. So how does God recommend that we consider this presence of money, this wealth we have? One, we have to go, I'm going to examine my life and look at my consolations. Am I stacking my life up? Well, if God has been good to you, and you and the capitalist West has just opened its spigots and the blessing of God has come out on you, God bless you. You've got to watch it, because this is a problem. It could be the envy problem of the poor, it could be the greed problem of the rich, but the problem is, it's a medium of exchange, money answers everything, you can buy what you think is important. And did you think your peace and your satisfaction could be purchased with money. Now, what did he tell Dives back in that parable? Send, send, send Lazarus to my brothers. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Oh, no, that's not, that's not. Somebody comes back from the dead. Have you ever you ever realize that the Christian church has ended up being a financial shell of what Christianity ought to be? In other words, all the Christian homes have some disgusting font on a chalkboard saying something positive about Jesus or some notable verse with 2 Corinthians something scribbled underneath it in very, very, very trend popular fonts. Now, some of you might like that kind of art. I do not. But an awful lot of Christianity that isn't being lived is being put on chalkboards in homes across the land. 
posters, ways of being. We can buy not only our car that we want and our Ferrero Rochers, I can buy my Christianity. I can buy a Christianity that looks like it's into, you know, somebody has some quote on their fridge and it's about, you know, the depth of God's wisdom. And you're looking at him, I know this guy. There isn't wisdom anywhere near him. You wouldn't know if it bit him in the fanny. So, what are we doing? We're just purchasing our consolation. They have Moses and the prophets. What have you done with Moses and the prophets? Because if you haven't done anything with Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe if someone comes back from the dead. Because a rich man can look at Moses and the prophets. When it tells the rich fool, which is also in Luke, chapter 12, it is, another guy who didn't do anything wrong except have a good harvest and decided to do the responsible thing of build bigger barns. And the Lord says, you're dead. Now what's it going to do for you? You were not rich towards God. We seem to think that as long as I did the right and moral thing, the wise and responsible thing with my money, that I'm home free. I didn't do something bad. I didn't buy a prostitute. I didn't, I didn't cheat the feds out of my taxes. I gave tithes. Whatever it is, you think that you're clear, but you're not clear if you're still finding your consolation in the money. You could have a boatload of money. You could enjoy, you could have a yacht and not find your consolation in it. If you have, if you're not rich towards God, it doesn't matter how successful the world is, funneling success into your business and your circumstances. There are things being decided at the Fed, things being decided in the administration that are changing how money happens. And money is going to come into our lives in a better rate. We're going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Well, the protection is to be in Moses and the prophets so that you will listen. You'll be able to follow Christ. Christ says, follow him. He is the one who has come back from the dead and he expects certain people to listen to him. And those are the people, like it's said in John, those who have heard and learned from the Father come to me. So have you heard and learned from the Father? Have you found your consolation? So whether you are poor or wealthy, your consolation is in God. You you know that the things that answer the issue of peace are Him in His way for you. We sometimes, just like Dives, want to have God do a miracle. You've been busy arranging your life with your dollars. Then Aunt Betty gets cancer. And your dollars can't buy something. Right? Your consolation. But I got, we had a vacation. And now God, oh, come on in. Because people will believe if you do something. So why don't you live out your consolation? When things are going well, when you've got the money, live out your consolation in Christ. Live out your consolation in your knowledge of the work of God in history. 
is why have you ever feared losing everything? If it doesn't, you know, it should not matter to us, the rich, whether tomorrow we lose everything. By some accident, you did not buy fire insurance for your house, and you decided to have it all in gold, and it melted into the earth, not to be retrieved, all of your wealth gone, you had to get a job at McDonald's to have enough money to buy some smack ramen. Can you imagine the picture? Picture it, losing everything. The wonderful thing about Christianity is our consolation is not financially dependent. You can be at peace with your world rejoicing because it's in him. We could listen to the one raised from the dead because we heard we have our good things not in how I you know, pulled my wallet out and I was able to buy the milkshake. Was that exchange to cheer me up? I mean, I, you say, you look at Evan and say, yeah, he probably eats for emotional well-being. No, I eat because I enjoy it. But have you ever done that? Where the chocolate or the milkshake or the french fries or whatever it was was there for to cheer you up was the jet ski there to cheer you up was the birthday party to cheer you up was the new dress to cheer you up was new shoes I don't mean to speak, I don't mean to blaspheme here new shoes that's what you gotta check it's my money exchange. Because remember, God has a way that it is possible for you, the rich, western, Idaho-dwelling, American, living in a good circumstance, to have all that gain and not be a disappointment to our God. Because it is possible with him that we could be saved. We could be saved. We white Gentiles can go to heaven if we have heard and learned from the Father, if we have seen Moses and the prophets, and we have followed Christ. That, uh, what's it called, the Powerball, <laughs> you always get another, what would you do with the money? Uh, tithing comes up for Christians all the time. Oh, I, I would give it to your ministry. I was told that last night by a young man. Well, I would give you 50 million. Well, thank you. Never going to happen. Even if he won, it was never going to happen. Why waste 50 million on Evan? I can't get anything out of that, you know. No consolation. But we, we know what we have to do. We know what we would buy. He was talking about buying an island. And we were arguing like it mattered. You can't get an island for 1.6 billion. Like we knew what the shopping for islands was. You know, the, my wife probably has a coupon. <laughs> what do we do when we think about losing everything? God is willing for us to have the stuff. Look at what it says at the end of Luke 18 there. Peter says, verse 28, Lo, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no man who has left house or wife 
or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive manifold more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The question is whether or not your consolation was in the kingdom. Your consolation was in Christ. Your consolation was in Moses and the prophets and the son of man raised from the dead. If you have chosen to follow that, God then grants you these goods. You are to be a wealthy man trusted. Not a wealthy man who just by the luck of the draw and accident and hard work ended up wealthy. But someone God trusts to be wealthy because you're one of those for whom it is possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom after you have given it all up. Like the rich young ruler who is suggested to it that he give it up. What's going to happen when the suggestion comes to you? Either the accident or the suggestion. Well, the accident is the only way you figure it's going to happen because there's no way in Hades you're giving it up. Right? Explain that to the wife. Yes, I know, honey, how you've depended upon my paycheck. Uh, but I just quit my job of going into street evangelism. She's going to look at you like that's grounds. There's immorality and giving up your job. It's grounds for divorce. Because men function in their consolations different than women function in their consolations. But whatever the case, if you are facing not just the decision to give it all up, but an accident that took it from you. Oh, so I got that figured. I, I bought insurance where my consolation is protected by our consolation, where I contributed to a fund, and I have no moral problem with insurance, just I have no problem with money. Think about how you're thinking about it. Are you going to protect your consolation by having another consolation backup? As I've told people before when we've talked about, we have different views on insurance, and I, I have insurance of kinds. Figure out how much you trust God, then talk to the insurance salesman. Let's just put it in that order. How much do you, how much am I, are you at peace with God? Is things pretty good, no matter what? No matter what house you live in, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter how much debt you're facing from school, are you right with God? Is your heart consoled? Because then you end up buying the insurance that is just sort of, well, yeah, because people expect me to do it. Better do it because my father-in-law expects me to do it. That's a good reason. My father-in-law expects me to do it. Yeah, I better do it. I don't expect me to do it because we believe in Jesus Christ. And all of those urges are, just say, they're diminished. The anxieties of life are diminished. And we don't end up, by merely being rich, not knowing that just the state of being rich can put you at the judgment on the short end of the stick because you had it's like the person who who has a lot to eat you shall you are full now hunger later laugh now mourn later realize that all those goods all the, all the things that are good in this life 
are temptations in this life. So just because it's a temptation doesn't make it bad. You just have to put the Christ in the kingdom first. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for all the good things. Thank you for the money we have. Thank you for the opportunities in a free country we have. Thank you for a successful economy. Lord, keep us from ourselves and our own paths to consolation. Keep us from planning to have money answer the money problems. Help us listen to Moses and the prophets and your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.